Father in heaven, we thank you for your tender watch care over us this past week. We thank you, Lord, for the holy hours that we're in again, and then as we come to study your word. Father, please bless us once more. Please lead us with your spirit and guide our thoughts and our hearts and our minds. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, good evening, everybody, and welcome to our care group study again. We are still in the wilderness wanderings, and the children of Israel, they are coming to the end of their 40 years of going round and round in the desert. And we, we've been studying there, there towards the end of their sojourning for a few weeks now. You know, Moses, he was meant to talk to the rock, and yet he struck it instead, and as a result, God gave this judgment upon him and Aaron that they would not be allowed to lead the children of Israel into Canaan. Aaron has already passed away. We studied that in our previous study. And the children of Israel were complaining and murmuring about their food and especially their water again, right? And so God removed his protecting care and the fiery serpents came out and bit them. And so Moses was instructed to make a serpent of brass put on a pole, and anybody who would look at that would live. They would be healed of the serpent bite, and they would be healed. And so now, as we're very much closer to the edge of the border of Canaan with the children of Israel, now God asks them to move forward. And so we read here in Deuteronomy chapter 2, verses 3 through 5, Ye have compassed this mountain long enough, Turn you northward, and command thou the people, saying, Ye are to pass through the coast of your brethren, the children of Esau, which dwell in Seir, and they shall be afraid of you. Take ye good heed unto yourselves, therefore, meddle not with them, for I will not give you of their land. No, not so much as a footbreadth, because I have given Mount Seir unto Esau for a possession." And so even though God calls them and instructs them to move forward, he tells them very clearly not to meddle with the children of Esau. God had promised this land to them and the children of Israel were not to touch that land. You see, Esau was the brother to Jacob. And so Jacob being the head of the 12 tribes, the children of Israel, they were cousins to the children of Esau. And so God had made that promise to Esau that he would also give him some land. And so God said, do not touch it. Let's keep reading. Deuteronomy chapter 2 and verse 9. And the Lord said unto me, distress not the Moabites, neither contend with them in battle. For I will not give thee of their land for a possession, because I have given Ar into the children of Lot for a possession. And so God, he had also promised land to the children of Lot as well. They were the Moabites, which were also relatives to the children of Israel as well. Lot was the nephew of Abraham, who had Isaac, who had Jacob, and so they were also distant cousins. And so God said, do not touch their land also, for you are not 
to take it. He had promised them land as well, and even though Lot, his children, his daughters were the ones that gave birth to his children, yes, they committed incest, but because of the righteousness of Lot. You know, it was the daughters that deceived the father and ended up sleeping with him when he was drunk. Even then, God had blessed Lot and had promised him this land. And the same is also said of the children of Lot, the other children of Lot, the Ammonites. And so we read here in Deuteronomy chapter 2, 17 to 19, that the Lord spake unto me, saying, Thou art to pass through Ar, the coast of Moab, this day. And when thou comest nigh over against the children of Ammon, distress them not, nor meddle with them. For I will not give thee of the land of the children of Ammon any possession, because I have given it unto the children of Lot for a possession. They were not to touch their land. God gave very clear and specific instruction. And so the children of Israel, they were to move forward through the land of the Edomites, through the land of the Ammonites, and through the land of the Moabites, and they were not to touch them. However, let's keep reading. Deuteronomy chapter 2, 24 and 25. Rise ye up, Take your journey and pass over the river Arnon. Behold, I have given into thine hand Sihon the Amorite, king of Heshbon, and his land. Begin to possess it and contend with him in battle. This day will I begin to put the dread of thee and the fear of thee upon the nations that are under the whole heaven. Who shall hear report of thee and shall tremble and be in anguish because of thee. And so finally, God says that they could take possession of a certain parcel of land. It was the land of the Amorites. But notice what the Bible says here. God would put the dread of them in their hearts, the fear of the Israelites in these surrounding nations. They would be afraid of them and be in anguish because of them. And it was because of the presence of God. God was the one that put this fear and dread in their hearts. And so long as the children of Israel were faithful to God, his fear would be upon the enemies of God. And so look, notice that there's a big difference between this type of fear that God is putting in the hearts of the surrounding nations and making them literally scared compared to the sort of fear that God asks us to have of him. Yes, the Bible does talk about fear God in Revelation chapter 14 and verse 7. The Bible says, saying with a loud voice, fear God and give glory to him for the hour of his judgment is come and worship him that made heaven and earth and the sea and the fountains of waters. Friends, what does it mean to fear God? What does it mean when Revelation is talking about here? The very first message that is given is to fear God. What does that mean? Well, in order to discover that, we have to go back to Genesis, the first book of the Bible. We were in Revelation, but in Genesis, it actually makes it quite clear. You see, we read in Genesis 22 and verse 12, God is speaking to Abraham and he says, Lay not thine hand upon the lad 
neither do thou anything unto him. For now I know that thou fearest God, seeing thou hast not withheld thy son, thy only son, from me. You see, what's the background to this story? Abraham had been called to sacrifice his son Isaac, his only son, the one whom he now loved and cherished with all his heart. Isaac was not the first son. Ishmael was, but he was the son of promise. God had promised him that he would be the father of many nations. But in order to be the father of many nations, he had to have children. Namely, he had to have a son. And so God told him it would be through Isaac that this promise of being a father of many nations would be fulfilled. And in fact, it was God that named Isaac himself. But at the beginning of Genesis chapter 22, God comes to Abraham and he tells him, I want you to sacrifice your son Isaac as a burnt offering. And Abraham, he was willing to follow. He was willing to obey God to the very point, even though it didn't make sense, he couldn't understand the reason why God was asking him to do this, but surely it was a test. Abraham, he still had faith enough to trust God and obey him and to follow all that God had commanded him to do. And it was only at the point where Abraham had his hand raised up with the knife, ready to plunge the knife down into his son's chest, ready to sacrifice his son, that God holds his arm and he stops him and says, Abraham, stop right there. You see, it was at that point that God said, now I know that you fear me. Now I know that you're willing to obey me, have implicit trust in me and do what I say, even though you don't understand the reason why. You see, God asks us to fear him, not to be literally scared of him, but to trust him and obey him in every circumstance, even though sometimes in our own human reasoning, we might not understand the reason why. But the fear and the dread that God was putting into the hearts of the surrounding nations was of a different nature. It was a dread that came as a result from not fearing God, from not believing Him, from not obeying Him. And so now the children of Israel were about to come and conquer their land. You see, friends, the Israelites being in the wilderness, all that God was trying to do with them was trying to help them to learn to fear God as well. You see, from the very beginning, when they left Egypt, God was trying to teach them this lesson, to obey and to trust Him, even when they didn't understand the reason why. When they came out of Egypt, they were following the cloud and God's leading, and God led them to a dead end, the Red Sea. The Red Sea was in front of them, mountains were on either side, and the Egyptian armies were behind them, chasing them, ready to capture them and kill them and punish them and bring them back to the land of Egypt, you see. But instead of having implicit trust in God and faith in His leading, they began to complain and murmur against the visible leader, Moses, who was simply following the direction and leading of God. And often God brings us over the same ground over and over again if we fail. And when the trial comes and we're not able to overcome, God, He allows that trial to come back again, but this time it's more intense until we're able to have the victory. 
You see, after the Red Sea, God leads them to the bitter water. He would lead them to places where it doesn't make sense why he would lead them there. God, if you knew that the the water was not drinkable, why did you lead us here? And he would continue to lead them into difficult places to test them and to try them, to see if they really trusted him, to see if they really obeyed him, to see if they would fear God with all their hearts and step forward and live by faith and not by sight. God, he does that for us too in our lives, you see. He leads us to situations and to places where he wants us to exercise our faith and our love and our trust in him and his word. And many times we've, we've done nothing wrong. We've been following the guidance of God we, and what happens is we come to a dead end. We, we come to a place where life is not so comfortable anymore. Will we murmur and complain? Or will we be like Abraham who fully trusted God in his command that went against his own promise that through Isaac, he would bless the whole world. He would be a father of many nations. Will we come to this point where we will trust God even when we don't understand the reason why? And I think it's important for us to to get to that experience of learning to fear God because friends, a lot of understanding of what we think out there in human terms is good, God says it's actually not. In terms of our diet, in how we live, in what we drink, in many things, we ought to be careful that we learn to trust God in everything. But now coming back to the Amorites, who they were about to attack. God had given them sufficient time to change, the the, the Amorites, and to repent of their sins. He had given them many chances. How many chances did God give them? Well, let's go have a look at Genesis 15, verses 13 and verse 16. And he said unto Abram, Know of a surety that thy seed shall be in a, be a stranger in a land that is not theirs, and shall serve them, and they shall afflict them four hundred years. But in the fourth generation they shall come hither again, for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet full. You see, God is speaking to Abraham here, and he actually gives him this prophecy and a promise. He said that he would be in a strange land that would not be theirs. They'll be there for 400 years. And where was God communicating with him at this time? Abraham, Abraham, he was probably standing on the land of the Amorites, and God says, you're not to inherit this land yet. You're going off for 400 years, but when you come back, you'll be able to take possession of this land. And the Israelites were literally in Egypt for 400 years. And so in essence, God was also giving the Amorites 400 years to change and to repent as well. And a little bit more because, you know, they've been going round and round in the desert for 40 years as well. And so God, he gives them 400 years to change, to repent of their wicked ways. When Abraham came walking through that land, God promised that it would be his. But at that time, God said, no, no, no. The iniquity of the Amorites is not yet full. They still need more time. I'm going to give them more chances. And God is saying that they need enough chances so that at the time of judgment, no one will complain about my judgment. 
that I didn't give them enough chances. But now God is telling Israel that the Amorites' time is up. Now, what does God instruct them to do? Look at this. Deuteronomy chapter 2, verses 31 to 35. And the Lord said unto me, Behold, I have begun to give Sihon and his land before thee. Begin to possess, that thou mayest inherit his land. Then Sihon came out against us, he and all his people, to fight at Jahaz. And the Lord our God delivered him before us. And we smote him and his sons and all his people. And we took all his cities at that time and utterly destroyed the men and the women and the little ones. Of every city, we left none to remain. Only the cattle we took for a prey to ourselves and the spoil of the cities which we took. They would be destroyed from off the face of the earth. Everybody would be destroyed. Not a single person, not a single person would be left alive. Their time of probation had come to an end. But this is not before God gives them 400 plus years to change. And who knows how long they had before that as well, right? Before Abraham came walking along 400 years earlier. So God, he's long-suffering. He's merciful to every person, whether you're a Christian or not. His mercy is extended to each of us to make right our lives, to change, to follow him with all our hearts, to exercise faith. None of us know when the time of probation will close on the earth. But sure enough, He is just, and every person will receive the just due of their reward at the end of time. None will be able to say, God, you did not give me enough time. This is evident from the passage that we see here about the Amorites. Friends, we ought to remember that even though there's a close of probation for the whole world one day, when we die, our probation is already closed. We have no chance to make right or wrong anymore. The dead, they don't know anything, right? And so when when probation closes, when we die, that's it. And we don't know when that day comes. We don't know. And probation closing on people is a real thing, even whilst they're alive. Where have we seen this throughout the Bible, where probation closes on people on the earth? Well, the first is the flood. Probation closed when the door of the ark shut. Before there was rain and flood, The door of the ark shut. No one could go out. No one could go in. Probation had closed. All those that were inside were saved. And that was it. And all those that were on the outside would eventually be destroyed. Even Cain, who killed his brother Abel, there was no more second chance for him. There was a mark that would be set upon him. But he left the presence of the Lord in Genesis chapter 4. Sodom and Gomorrah. God would rain down fire on this wicked city. They never changed. Only four people left the city, but only three people were saved. Lot's wife looked back and she became a pillar of salt. The city of Nineveh, whom God was going to destroy that wicked city, but Jonah came along to preach to it and they repented. They changed. Probation was about to close. And God tells Jonah, go and preach to them. Tell them that they need to change. Otherwise, I'm going to destroy them. They will have no more chances left, you see. And even the Israelites, 
the Israelites that we've been studying about for these past few weeks and months, they had so many chances, but yet probation would close on many of them. When they got to the border of Canaan the first time, right? They sent out the 12 spies. Most of them listened to the 10 spies of that wicked and evil report. And they wished to die, and so God would give them their wish, and many would perish in the wilderness, just going round and round for the next 38 years. Yes, friends, can you imagine that? They were alive, but they had a sentence to die that was certain. Cain was like that. Even King Saul was like that. He was alive, but yet God had chosen someone else to be king, and his presence was no longer with Saul. You see in Revelation chapter 2 and verse 21, it says, And I gave her space to repent of her fornication, and she repented not. Speaking of Jezebel, spiritual Jezebel. Friends, God gives everybody chances. God gives everybody space to repent of the wicked things that we have done. And it's up to us if we want to change or not. Even Pharaoh in Egypt God gave him 10 chances to change, 10 chances to repent before his whole kingdom pretty much was destroyed. And even when it was fully destroyed, he still went chasing after the Israelites with his armies. You see that? God gives enough chances to everybody to change and repent, no matter who they are, no matter what religion they're from, where they live, it doesn't matter. God gives everybody sufficient time to change, to make a choice to follow Him, to do good with their lives, to live up according to all the light that God has shown them. Brothers and sisters, I truly believe that in heaven, we will find people of all races, of all different types of religions, of all different stripes and types and colors in heaven. They would have lived up to all the light that God has given to them. And so friends, at the end of the day, no one will be without excuse. Look at this. Romans chapter 1 and verse 20. For the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Do you understand what this verse is saying? The invisible things from the creation of the world are clearly seen. No one will be without excuse, not even the heathen who don't believe in a true God and in the Bible, they they won't be without excuse. Why? Because nature, because creation, it testifies so clearly of the God that we know in the Bible out there. The Bible says his eternal power and even his Godhead is evident if we would just go out and spend time in nature. No one will have any excuse at the end of the day. Those who make it up to heaven or end up in hell, we will know the reason why we are there. No one will say to God, God, you didn't give me enough chances. You were not fair. You didn't give enough time to change and to repent. No, nobody will say that at all. And so now coming back to this story that we've been looking at about the Israelites, let's keep reading. Deuteronomy chapter 2, 36 and 37. From Aroah, which is by the brink of the river of Arnon, and from the city that is by the river, even unto Gilead, there was not one city too strong for us, 
the Lord our God delivered all unto us. Unto only, only unto the land of the children of Ammon thou camest not, nor unto any place of the river Jabbok, nor unto the cities in the mountains, nor unto whatsoever the Lord our God forbade us. It was obvious that God was with them. No matter the size of the city, God delivered all of them into the hand of the Israelites. Through this clear instruction, they believed God, they marched forward, they were full of faith, nobody could stand in their path. But yet God did put restriction. He did put clear instruction. He didn't say just attack anybody. He said, don't touch the land of the Amorites, I mean the Ammonites, the Moabites, right? The places that God told them not to attack. And we also ought to be careful that we don't walk in places where God has told us not to walk in places that he forbids us. God can only be with us if we walk according to his will and his word. He's specific, and he would help the children of Israel to conquer so long as they followed his instruction and they followed his guidance where he was leading them. If they were to step out of that and decide to attack the children of Esau or the children of Lot, God would not have been with them. They would have suffered a terrible defeat, even though it was only maybe women and children left in that city. God is no less specific today as well, friends. From the place we live, to the job that we work, the course of study that we have, to the person that we even end up marrying one day, God cares about all of that, friends. He cares. And he's made specific instruction in his word to guide us as well. Let us make sure that we're careful to obey all that God has written in his word for each and every one of us. In conquering the Ammonites, the Israelites are at the place that God brought them to 38 years earlier, when they were standing at the edge of the borders of Canaan and the 12 spies, of whom 10 came back with an evil report. 38 years earlier, God was ready to fight for them. And he told them that he would also send hornets before them, bees before them, to send them and to fight. They wouldn't not have to fight. But you see, 38 years later, when we fail to overcome the first time, what happens? The test is harder. The test is more intense. Why? You see, this time the armies are ready. Back then, they only had two years and this new nation coming out of Egypt, not many cities and countries were, were ready. The first time they tried to attack, had they learned to trust God, they would have made the conquest much easier. But when they went and God said, no, you want to go die in the wilderness, you go die, no matter what happened, God was against them. And so they ended up wandering round and around in the wilderness. And so at the, for those 38 years, the Canaanites, the Amorites, everybody would have had chance to prepare. They were watching this, this country, this nation of people just going round and round in the desert for 40 years. They had time to build stronger fortifications, higher walls, thicker walls, right? Build more weapons. But why does a test have to be more intense, friends? Why can't God just bring us over the same ground again? Well, you see, it's like when we take an exam. If you have failed an exam before, 
and you go take retake the makeup exam or whatever it is, are the questions exactly the same? No, they aren't, right? The questions are different. They're more difficult. You can't be given the same questions again. You will know the answers already. It wouldn't be, it wouldn't be anything difficult for you to do at all. The teacher cannot give us the same exact questions. Why? We have more time to prepare. We have more time to study. So it would be different. It would be more difficult. And that's the same with the tests that God gives us in life as well. At first, if you don't succeed, God will allow the test to come again, to try us again until we're able to overcome. But this time around, it's more difficult. However, this time, even though the, the armies are stronger, the cities are bigger, the Israelites' faith in God is bigger as well. And no matter the size of the city, no matter how heavily fortified it is, God gives them the victory. God is with them every step of the way. No matter how big or small, God is guiding them this time. And with God, if God is with us, who can stand against us, right? And so they went forward conquering and conquering and conquering and no one could do anything about it. But now, Deuteronomy chapter 3, verses 1 and 2. Then we turned and went up by the way to Bashan. And Og, the king of Bashan, came out against us, he and all his people, to battle at Edrei. And the Lord said unto me, Fear him not, for I will deliver him and all his people and his land into thine hand. Thou shalt do unto him as thou didst unto Sihon, king of the Amorites, which dwelt at Hashbon. And so King Og King Og, yes, Og of king of Bashan, he comes out and, and fights against them and God promises them the victory as well. They would also be destroyed as well. They had nothing to fear if they trusted in the word of God. And so let's keep reading. Chapter 3, verses 3 to 7. So the Lord our God delivered into our hands Og also, the king of Bashan, and all his people, and we smote him until none was left in to him remaining. And we took all his cities at that time. There was not a city which we took not from them. Three score cities, all the region of Argob, the king of Og in Bashan. All these cities were fenced with high walls, gates, and bars, beside unwalled towns a great many. And we utterly destroyed them, as we did unto Sihon, king of Heshbon utterly destroying the men, women, and children of every city. But all the cattle and the spoil of the cities we took for a prey to ourselves. They are totally destroyed. All men, women, children, everybody, they just kept the cattle. And this is that second battle that they have now coming out of the wilderness wanderings. Notice how it says that the cities, they, they were fenced cities with walls and gates and bars. They were heavily fortified. But yet the Israelites march forward and God helps them and fights for them. When the children of Israel came out of Egypt on their way to Canaan the first time, they actually experienced war. Did you know that? Do you remember the Amalekites? They would come out and fight against the children of Israel. This is in Exodus chapter 17, and Moses 
would hold up the rod in his hand, and as long as he held it up, the children of Israel would win and be victorious. You see, they already had a taste of war and victory already. They had the evidence that God would fight for them. But somehow, when they got to Canaan, they forgot. They forgot how big their God was and what God had done for them already. And same with this experience that we've studied today. First the Ammonites, and then Og, the king of Bashan. They had finally learnt their lesson to trust God and have faith in Him, to obey even when they didn't understand the reason why. And though the test was harder this time, they were careful to obey God and trust Him and follow Him in all that He had instructed them. The first time the Israelites were going to try and conquer Canaan after God said no because of their unbelief, and they still went their way anyways without Moses and the Ark of God, they were utterly defeated, right? But this time Moses went with them. The Ark of God went with them. The presence of God went with them. And friends, if God is with us, we have nothing to fear. If we're walking in the middle of His will, obeying all His commands that He has given to each and every one of us, we can walk forward confidently even though we might be walking through the valley of the shadow of death. The only question is, is God with you? Psalms 23 says, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. And when He is with me, when He is with us, we don't have the fear and the dread that God puts on other people. We fear God because we have been obeying and we know that He has led us here. And if He's led us here, we have nothing to fear because He'll lead us out of it as well. And so friends, today maybe you're going through some trials. Maybe you're going through some difficulties. Maybe there, you're experiencing some regret of something that you've experienced. But the question is, are you going through this because God led you there? If He led you there, then I want to encourage you and remind you, don't complain or murmur like the Israelites. Make sure you hold fast to Him. Make sure you hold on to Him. Make sure you trust Him with all your heart and obey Him. Know that He has a reason for this and He will bring you through it and make you victorious at the very end. But friends, if you're not sure, if you're not sure whether God really led you here or not and you're going through some trial, then this evening, it's time to run to God. Today, it's time to tell Him, God, please help me. Save me to the uttermost. I know that He will hear your prayers because He's heard mine. Even though we've, we've done so many mistakes, even though so many times we disobeyed God, if we turn to Him, He will turn to us. Probation has not closed on you yet if you can still hear His voice, if you're still watching this, this service and this streaming and this, and this study this evening, I guarantee you, you haven't, you haven't, He has not proclosed probation on you. It's time to turn your heart, your life, your face to Jesus. He will heal. He'll bind up the wounds that the world has caused. He'll give you meaning. He'll give you strength to carry on. He will give you all the host of heaven to be in your assistance if you will surrender your life again to him today. And so friends, all we need today is the presence of God. May God be with each and every one of us. May we make sure that before we leave our houses, 
before we go for work or for studies or for playing, that we make sure that God is with us. For if he is with us, who can be against us? Even though we might be in the midst of a storm. Amen. Let's pray. Father in heaven, O Lord, so often we have gone out of our houses, out of our rooms. We've gone about the whole day without knowing even if your presence has been with us or not. But Father, we don't want to do that anymore. We want to make you our constant companion. We want you to be with us. We want you to guide us, Lord. We want you to draw us closer to you, to be our help. And Father, please, lead us, help us, that we can have your presence with us. The reassurance to know that the God of heaven is right beside us. And Lord, if we have made any foolish mistakes, we brought ourselves into difficult places because of our own foolish decisions, please forgive us. But help us, Lord, that you might turn our curse into a blessing. That you might turn the, the dry and barrenness into fruitfulness again. That you pour out your Holy Spirit upon our lives. And so, Father, please, draw close to us is our earnest plea and prayer. Guide us, O Lord, to that end. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's Word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org. Dot audioverse.org.